I'm very worried about doing this without Troy. Why? I don't know. I'm not as free. It's freeing? Yeah. That's like half the verbiage gone. Yeah, exactly. How are we going to fill? <laughs> oh, it's going to be fine. <laughs> It'll be going to fill the time. It'll be short. I'll make my. This is a 15 minute podcast. <laughs> Troy, we miss you if you're listening to it, but I don't think Troy's listening. He's not on it. Yeah, we miss your class. Just to screw with him, you should drop his photo from the like podcast art for this one. Just put a big X on top of it. <laughs> Since we decided to do it, I've had very little time to prepare. That's fine. The idea that I have behind this is because I have to give a talk on this, and I have a very strange way of preparing for talks like I do with podcasts. And so I have the slides done and everything like this, but I wait until right before. I know what I'm going to say, but I don't write it down. Do you write it down? And then before I write like five points I want to hit at on each section. I think writing it down for me, even if it's on paper helps me because you know English is a second language and I'm a pretty disorganized thinker so writing things down helps me not meander as much it's funny because I'm a writer but I don't like I don't write out what I'm gonna say because I find it just a waste yeah you want to get paid for every word well I mean writing is different than my first job was as a speechwriter and like it's totally different writing than because you have to write the way people speak and so when you read speeches the best written ones are not anywhere close to what you would read an essay or something. That's why I think it's strange when people read their newsletters because you speak differently than you write. Yes, it's uncanny when people do that. Yeah. That's my one beef with the Sam Harris thing. It's so he writes it and reads it. And at least to me, it sounds very much like he is writing it and reading it. Uh, that's interesting. I find when Scott Galloway does it, I notice a big difference with that. But it's maybe because I don't know Sam Harris talking normally. And I don't know either. <laughs> I, I think he sounds pretty much the same. Like his tone is. Oh, uh, really? Uh, maybe I. Because he, he occasionally does a podcast where it's just basically him talking, his essay. Yeah. And that's just, he's just, he's reading a newsletter, obviously. That's what he, he is. But he sounds the same when he interviews people. He's I don't just think a very good. thoughtful. <laughs> that's either thoughtful or. You're reading a script. Just psychotic. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I also want to use this. I want to see if I can use this as a crossover episode because I need I need to have an episode for tomorrow for my other podcast. Is this the, the Brian Morrissey Extended Universe? Is this our end game? I'm doing four newsletters this week, four podcasts. I'm doing two private dinners. I like calling them private dinners. I think that sounds like, oh, I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> I took it from Puck. John, if you're listening, I stole that. Private dinners? I mean, they, they are private like just, dinners. Like, what would a public dinner be? Anyone shows up? A, f- a food-based webinar? A public dinner is a food court, actually. Okay. Oh, and then I'm doing, I'm speaking at the Self-Serve Summit, powered by Dan Ads, where Troy said they're going to have a buffet. I'm speaking about a post-ZERP media era. All right. So we're going to talk about the ZERP era. I know you're covered in cold, but it's good. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to be as insightful as possible. So basically, this is like a free consulting session I'm giving you here. It's not, it's not consulting, it's brainstorming. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I get a lot of these requests from these consulting companies that connect me to a, some sort of corporation. And oh, I'm doing one of those. I'm doing one of those next week. I never do it. And if the guy's listening here, I'm going to confess to him because 
I got the call from whatever the something or other, I won't say the name of the company, but you know, you get these calls, 90% of the calls I get, first of all, I don't answer, but I just assume it's a spam call. And when there's a pause on the other line, and then it's like, is this Brian Morrissey? I'm like, click. Which I don't mean to be rude. You probably wouldn't do that, but like I would. And and then I got a text message right afterwards. And the guy was like, oh, this is so-and-so from whatever the company's name is. We got disconnected earlier. I'm like, that's one way to put it. Yes. It's a euphemism. Yes. I hung no, up on I do him. hang up when people call on the phone. I think that's just rude. Well, he had the text. He could have texted me. Okay. Yeah, exactly. There's an order. I mean, I think a text is already an invasion. But Oh, really? I, like LinkedIn. Just LinkedIn. Let, let me ignore you on LinkedIn. I sent a cold email today. I felt like very, very much like a recruiter. I'd never send a cold in-mail. How did that feel? It felt weird. It was like, it felt right at the time. And so I just I decided not to overthink it. I just went with it. I'll let everyone know next week if I got a response to my first, possibly first ever like cold LinkedIn outreach. Well, I'm sad to hear that. We were second we were second Ryan. we're second connections. Whatever. Second degree. What is that? Anyway, I want to talk about the the Zerp era because <laughs> you know, we've we've flicked at it a few times and I know that the, it's a broad thing because it, it covers basically 13 years in the global economy and macroeconomics. But I think it does tell an interesting story of the post-financial crisis up until now. And I think both the industries that you're most familiar with and that I am are intertwined and they overlap, but they're kind of different, but they're both going to be severely impacted by the fact that the cost of capital is no longer zero. Like I think that you can define a lot of what happened in the last era as just coming back to that simple fact that that was the reason we had all those subsidized Uber rides and and stuff. I can remember going to the airport for like 15 bucks. It was great. That's not coming back. And I think media in many ways, we'll get to media second, benefited from this, but didn't really understand that they were benefiting from it because there were so many other challenges going on with how the media economy was being swallowed by technology, basically, at the end of the day. You can argue about whose quote-unquote fault it is, but the reality is that's what happened. Just to frame the conversation, uh, ZERP, the zero interest rate policy, right? Yeah. That era starts around in 2008, right? Quarter of a percent. 2009, 2010. I mean, I'm not an economist, but from what I remember back then, it was pretty obvious that Congress was not going to act. They weren't going to fiscally stimulate the economy. And so all you have is monetary policy. And so the US economy did not recover. Europe was a disaster too after the financial crisis because of just simply bad policy decisions. Like, I think what happened to Greece is economist, like, but you have you have some opinions. I mean, I do because like it was very. Uh, it's kind of a basic sort of thing what you do after mm-hmm. this, and and there was a bunch of people who, for different political reasons, the house was on fire. They're like, well, we got to conserve water, and I don't know. I mean, how are we gonna how are we gonna water the garden later? And it's like, but the, the house is on fire. I feel like maybe we should just think about that later. Anyway, so a lot of policymakers, I mean, Japan had tried this in the 90s, mixed results to bad results, just dropped the cost of borrowing to zero to stimulate economic activity. And it worked. Works. There's a lot of stuff with the economy. Works. Works. And that is why so much money flooded into a lot of money-losing startups. That's why Vice had its like 19,000 subsidiaries in the Bahamas and whatnot. 
To me, I think there is a time, that first phase of ZERP, which is like maybe until 2018, and they were kind of raising rates a little bit slowly. There seemed to be maybe an effort to get out of that zero interest rate era around then. But then COVID hit. Yeah. And then we got that second boost and then went straight to zero. And I think most of the excesses in this concentrated form of what we call ZERP kind of is that era. Like that's, we say ZERP, but it's hard to remember that, I mean, the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the world, right? You could talk about those, but that like slice between 2019, 2020, yeah. and 2022, that's how we remember yeah. that era now, nowadays, right? Yeah. I think it's also. COVID was a great accelerant. Remember early, it was it, the idea was the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of e-commerce by 10 years. Remember all those things that yeah. very smart people said very confidently with very high valuations. I can yes. remember the Shopify guy saying that. I, I, I bought Shopify stock after that and, and now it's worth like a fifth of what it was then. Well, well to, to his credit, Toby came back and said that he had been wrong. While Andreessen is still out there saying how right he's been about everything. After oh, he's just web- skipped. Uh, he's skipped the crypto after- stuff. We'll get we'll get into his essay. Maybe we can we'll get, get into his okay. essay. Since Troy right. isn't here to cheer for power. Yeah, that's going to be a very one-sided look at. What well, would actually? I told Troy they were going to do that. What do you What do you think his reaction? He would be bored right now, and then he would be like, "Cost of capital drops to zero. A lot of stuff good ha- happens. Some bad happens, and then people just go on." Uh, that was a pretty good Im- impression of it. Yeah, I mean, I think he always has some interesting takes, and I'm not sure exactly what he, th- he thinks about Andreessen. I think even if he disagrees, he might play the contrarian here. Well, I think th- one of the things, I, so I guess there's a couple things. One is like, obviously, I think the flood of VC money into money-losing companies that didn't necessarily have a path seemingly to profitability. There were a lot of companies that existed. I think about the DTC sector. Many right. of those businesses, at my last job, we had a publication that almost like exclusively catered to these little like sock Instagram like sellers. Bombas and Allbirds oh, well, and Casper and So Peloton those were the ones who got the, yeah, that got the almost escape velocity, right? But like yeah. an area such as bikinis, okay? I remember at one of our events talking to a, a woman who was running this DTC bikini company and she's like, our research has found like there's nine of these funded. I was like, what? I would have to edit all of these stories about these DTC founders. And they all had a like, I think they might have had the same PR firm because they, they were so full of shit. They would say that everyone discovered this problem that they needed to personally solve because it was part of their personal journey or whatever. And they always had their epiphany between their first and second year at Harvard Business School. <laughs> well, I can't they just be like, look, I went to HBS, I knew I wanted to raise a round, and so I just looked around for a category that I thought I could do it in. Yeah, the one with the biggest gap that I could fill. Yeah, exactly. They were always like, well, I found the TAM was actually good, and I was like, you know, nobody says that. It just happens yeah. to be some sort of person. Why shaving? Well, it reminds me of my dad. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's stick to DTC for a second yeah. here. The Chris Kimball conversation highlighted something last week. You should listen if you haven't listened to it yet, but we had a great conversation, and he mentioned that there was an era where just advertising was easy. And I wonder how much of that DTC explosion was always when you could say any agency, and I saw this happen with, with a friend of mine that started a DTC business where the agency would have a model where they would charge a, a minimal fee 
and then take commission right on the sales. And it was super easy because they knew that they could just spend a dollar and make a dollar fifty. Yeah, <laughs> and you just threw money at Facebook. It was a money but machine. With- it, was, it was a customer machine, and this is that, yeah, exactly. that's what it was. And it's like you fed a dollar in. You got a customer who would buy a dollar fifty worth of stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, I covered. It was easy marketing. to find that dollar, right? You went to to the market and you could find that dollar. But it is also no longer as easy to advertise. And I wonder yeah. if that's not a Zerk issue, right? Well, there's a few things, right? I think that the era, the Wild West in quotes era of using data however you want is a Zerp phenomenon. At the end of the day, it was never going to last. It was a market distortion. And it was taken advantage of by a lot of people, but it was untenable long-term for a sustainable ecosystem. Troy and others can argue, and I'm very sympathetic, that things like GDPR are kind of ridiculous. And I do not believe that Apple wants to, is driven by, (laughs) out of the goodness of its heart, that it wants to protect privacy as a human right. I think it just so happens to greatly benefit Apple. Go figure, strange. But at the same time, I think that being able to basically acquire customers for very low costs and very regularly and consistently is just simply, it had never existed before in media and marketing. And the way that it did exist, it was not tenable. I don't think it was, and it's obviously not tenable because it's gone now. And the cost of acquiring a customer has normalized. Zerp to me is just a distortion. Why wasn't a company that benefited so much from this DTC Zerp explosion like Google why is it that their revenue hasn't been impacted? There's some research out there, and, and Bloomberg's written around it, that says like Zerp really benefited the top 5% of companies. They did great. You would think that a, a company that is so reliant on these small startups spending money on AdWords yeah. would suffer, and they haven't. I mean, I can remember, this is a little bit of a digression, but hopefully not too much Covering Google for, I, I, I've talked about, I've covered it like since it's like early days. And I hated interviewing people from Google because they were just PR robots for the most part. But the few times I interviewed Hal Varian, their chief economists were, were like amazing. I loved talking to that guy because they had so much data. And even back then, and they were more open about it, is that they knew when there was going to be a bad flu season before anyone else. And you know, this is when we were thinking about all the possibilities, all the positive possibilities of technology. I think this is what Mark Andreessen is maybe pining for, because it wasn't obvious that all of this, I was like, oh my God, this data, we can do anything. It's, we can collect all of this data and then Google is going to allow us. Nobody was reacting against any of this stuff. I think in a many ways, the fact that Google di- has not suffered as much, and this might really kill the, the the plans for Google to sponsor this podcast, it's just a testament to the fact that of their monopoly power in this market. You know, they'll quibble with the word monopoly, but the reality is Google never had to give guidance because it didn't have to give guidance because it could always hit whatever number it wanted. And it's coming out in this case, you know, they're closing down a lot of things coming out of this case, of the internal pressures, and it involves a lot of trade-offs. The reality is, if a quarter was coming up short, or whatever, they could put it wherever they want. I mean, they own the parking lot, and it was an infinite parking lot. It, so, well, there's this big court case happening right now, and there's one of their yeah, the DOJ case, the DOJ case, and one of their executives was caught saying, "Search for advertising is one of the world's greatest business models ever created. It rivals 
illicit businesses like cigarettes or drugs. And so they're trying to play this off. But they knew. I think it might be better. Yeah. It yeah. might be better. I mean, it's cigarette better. and drugs, you kill off a lot of your customers. <laughs> you're shorter. Like the LTV, your problem is that the L is, is short. You're shortening the L. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> your TV is. <laughs> you, so you got to really be yeah. focused because there's like, we got to get as much as we can up front. Forget about these long deals that are happening on the back end because it's yeah. it's going to be a short deal. Yeah, but I think it, it highlights this, and, and maybe this is a good pivot if you want into into more yeah. media and maybe streaming, but this ZERP era, specifically that last little slice during the pandemic, really kind of sealed the deals for these major players, right? Yeah. Netflix didn't only manage to build up a massive moat, the ZERP era also led all its competitors to overspend and build a ton of debt. And so coming out of it now, Netflix is sitting pretty with a lot of momentum while the competition is in trouble, right? Even Disney. And the thing I find interesting is how Bob Iger is back in the seat going, we're making too much stuff. We're spending too much money. You know, blaming who, the other who Bob. Made these decisions? Who, who, who made did these this? calls? He's like the plumber who, who comes checks? in who's like, who did yeah. this work? And it was like, actually, exactly. it was that you? was you. <laughs> Last year. <laughs> He's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And and Disney will likely be be fine. But is there, I mean, first of all, do you want to talk about streaming or and is there an analog to the rest of media with that? Because I would say the New York Times also came out of that era like a dominant player, right? And it, yeah. it wasn't maybe a few years ago. No, I mean at the start of the ZERP era, it was almost there was articles being written about the New York Times going out of business. Going bankrupt, its survival. The failing New York Times. Its survival was absolutely in question. It was somewhat in hock to Carlos Slim, Mexican billionaire. And then I made the pivot. I mean, he used the Zerbier to make the pivot to subscriptions, and they, it was able to make that pivot and become like a lifestyle bundle. And then it happened to benefit greatly from something that happened in 2016. And long term. I wonder if if that ends up hurting its overall like growth for its news product, but I think now its its growth is increasingly going to happen outside of news. Interestingly and intelligently, I think it invested in activities that are outside of news, right? Yeah, in some sort of yeah. And but I think what, what we saw in the biggest zerp phenomenon in media and publishing, obviously publishing and media in general is just different than tech. I mean, just the numbers are. They're just yeah, it's a bad business. Just miniature. I just like think about. I've got family like in the biotech industry, and like you know, a big M and A deal here. It's like wow, they got bought for two hundred million dollars. Like they do like forty billion dollar like tuck in acquisitions and stuff. I mean, yeah. that's a little extreme, but like they do massive, massive. The the money is just massive in other industries. But I think the thing within the publishing industry was. There was like a trickle down and there was a lot of speculative capital that went into these scaled models that have failed. I mean, BuzzFeed was zero interest rate phenomenon. I think we'll end up looking back on it. It was never a profitable business consistently. Okay. Like I remember Jonah coming on, Jonah Peretti coming on podcast. <laughs> Long time listeners will know that. Well, coming on the podcast I did at the time and saying, no, 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 we can be profitable anytime we want. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? If I yeah. want like firing half the company. And there was a tolerance for that across the entire economy. Now everyone needs to be profitable. I saw something that's something like 48% or no, 52% of the S&P 500 
is not profitable. I mean, it's that's wild. That's the idea of business. Is that maybe I'm like not sophisticated enough, but I thought you you want to make profits, right? Yeah, but I mean, if the stock market is speculative and speculation speculates around growth, right? And that's what Netflix has been doing this whole time is just gathering capital because it shows growth and build a big old moat. So obviously that flips. That flips now with with higher for longer. That flips to show me. Show me. Don't tell well, me. I Show me. The zero interest rate era allowed you to make stupid decisions and not be punished for them. You know, I talk sometimes about tech having generated a lot of unremarkable people that have made a lot of money and therefore now have a very loud voice, right? If you want to hear that, you can just tune in every week to the All In podcast and you'll get a good <laughs> sense of what I'm talking about. I like that. You get a punch up. That's good. They're very popular. And so it allowed, being successful always requires some luck, but when there's a zero interest rate, luck happens a lot more often. (laughs) And so what we are seeing, though, is that a lot of these things were bad decisions. Like BuzzFeed spent too much time and money on news, probably. It's one of the bad decisions. Vice did a bunch of bad decisions. Meanwhile, you could say that a lot of the New York Times decisions were correct, right? Maybe they had more leeway, but a lot of these companies made bad decisions. And Disney promoters often blame a lot of what's happening on market conditions, but Disney squandered and made too much content around Star Wars, around Marvel, because they had all this cash. They were putting it out. They were forced, They were kind of telling everyone you have to watch everything, and people got overloaded. Mm. And I think they, they severely damaged these franchises by just you know having too much money and making too many stupid decisions. And what we can say to that is that sometimes having constraints and how much you can spend is going to help you focus on doing the right things or doing a fewer things and trying to pick the right bets, right? Yeah. So how do you see this like higher for longer era changing like how people are going to think about building businesses, both in tech and then in other areas? Well, the optimist in me thinks that it's going to help us focus on things that we can see brings true utility, It's coming alongside the AI era, so that is going to provide a lot of opportunity in media and technology to build brand new things at very different scales, right? I've spoken about this before that I think to me the AI thing is there were these kind of financial modes that stopped you from creating a, you know, Hollywood style movies in quotes or running a specific type of media company that, and those modes are shrinking. But if I'm a little bit more pessimist, my worry is that we're going to see just like a contraction of new things. We're going to see less investment in interesting shows that showcase interesting voices. We're going to see less experimentation around media formats like we saw lately with people trying all sorts of stuff out on the internet. Yeah. So I don't know. I think if AI wasn't happening at the same time, we might have a clear vision of what's going to come. But I think AI is a disruptor yeah. that we can't predict. It's funny. I think I think you're truly right. And I think in some ways, what the pandemic was to ZERP, like AI will be to higher for longer. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're twin accelerants to some degree of a larger phenomenon. AI works its way into all of these CEOs telling their investors what they're going to do. Don't worry, we'll be making more money. And also AI is going to cut a bunch of costs. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> well, because that's like, it's very handy stuff. because... Yeah. Stock market's a funny thing. But like you're obviously you're telling a story that the other the side that has the money like or decides to allocate the capital wants to hear, right? And so mm-hmm. the story everyone was telling was a growth story. 
over profits because that's what people wanted to hear. And now these very same people have to go to this exact same people who just all of a sudden now decide they want a different story. And everyone pretends that the previous story that both of them were telling to each other <laughs> didn't happen. They were like, that was someone else. And now yeah. they're, I'm like, but you guys are, you're both the same. And now you're just talking it totally differently. So is there any specific example you want to there's share? There's no specific example. I just find that, I mean, you see it all the time, like in tech, right? Where it was all about, we're going to like create the future and everything. And it's like year of efficiency. It's about efficiency. <laughs> I think the secret power of tech sometimes is sold as people who can see into the future. But I think it is often being really good at forgetting the past. That's true. And Apple has been so good at that as saying, hey, remember last year when we were telling you this thing? Well, just forget about that because this is the right way to do it now. And a part of it is honestly just like related to the process of building stuff. At Airbnb, we would say, I mean, it's nothing new, but like, you know, strong opinions loosely held. Like, this is the best idea ever. But if it turns out not to be, we'll forget about it and it'll just be like flushed down the toilet, right? And tech has been really good at that. That Andreessen Manifesto is really good at forgetting that now that he's talking about this optimistic future about mm. AI, he was also the guy shilling Web3 you know, a few weeks ago. Yeah, but like you're saying, I think there's two ways to look at it. That can be a bug or it can be a feature. Yeah. Right, and, and, and yeah. it's both, really. It's a bug when it doesn't allow introspection. It's a bug when it creates specifically really loud voices that then end up talking with some authority as to how certain things should go. Chamath talking about his financial plan for the world after he read all these facts to the ground is funny. It's funny, but you know he believes it. He's trying things. He's in the arena. I don't even think it's disingenuous. I think they believe that's their own worse. bullshit. That's I the think... worst part, is, but it's not disingenuous. I know, and that's because there is such a an ability to forget yeah. all your failures and remember all your success. I mean, that's just as a quick aside, and I try to avoid the political stuff, but like I listened to the Jared Kushner, I listened to almost the whole thing. He did Man. like a, one of those three hour podcasts with the robot guy, Lex Friedman. Yeah. I, I, how can you? So to me, <laughs> him doing the it sounds like hell, like, listening to three hours of Lex Friedman and Jared Kushner talk to each other. That sounds like hell. His ad reads are like next level. And I was like, I was listening to him and I was thinking, I was like, maybe we can have a weird version of this where it's like Alex reading the ads like he's like been taken hostage or something. Oh. <laughs> so it was giving me ideas. I'm always trying to come up with ideas, monetization mm -hmm. ideas. But he had on Jared, Jared Kushner. And I think like a lot of people were were like, see, the mainstream media, the guy is like very articulate. So I'm like, of course he is. He's He's a smart person. Like, I mean, yeah. I think it was like ridiculous. Anytime. Raised wealthy, smart person. Yeah, Guess what? The they can speak good. Best schools and like, he's like, I would hope that he would be a smart person, right? That does not mean you're a thoughtful person. Just like in talking through, I'm just like thinking that like, there's no other factors in the world in these places where he was deciding that he was going to make peace, that the only thing people wanted was like the opportunity to have a golf course nearby. It's like, no, they might actually have other sort of priorities in life than that. I love, I love that point that you make about intelligence, yes, but thoughtfulness, no. no. And I think that sometimes we confuse the two and you can hear someone speak so eloquently. And then if you kind of like pull yourself away from that kind of allure of 
intelligence and I should be listening to this person. You notice how much full of crap they are. Yeah. And it's confidence as well. It's confidence, right? It's confidence is what you're saying, as if there was no other truth. Yeah. I do think one like tangential zero interest rate phenomenon that will fall away in some ways, because I think we're seeing the slow death of public social media. I think what is going on right now on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, in the wake of the terrorist attacks and then the subsequent war that is going to be happening, I guess it's already starting, it, it's irredeemable. I, I can't imagine opening and finding this a useful dialogue. And I've just noticed that so many people are getting caught mostly by their own words and actions at a very fraught mm -hmm. time. There was an Eagles player who didn't want to go over the middle because he get hit. And he was like, well, I'm not going for that ball. Like, for who? For what? Like, there is just no right. way. People are going to stop, are going to pull back. And I think it's overall going to be a messy thing, but a good thing from this idea that everyone has to be taking political stands on every, or, or just commenting on every single issue that is happening in the world, unless it applies to what you're doing in your, like, I, I think everyone should feel free to express themselves, obviously, however they want. I just think that it went to a point where, and obviously it's it's very acute within particularly, I think, the VC community, or maybe they're just like loud and powerful, so we have to hear them all the time. It's like, it's okay, you do whatever you do. You don't have to be like a geopolitical strategist and comment on every single political issue around. And I think a lot of people are reaping the whirlwind of that right now. It's a really fraught time and it actually has made a lot of social media just really painful to use, like pretty directly as well. I'm hearing that a lot, where, where people says, I, I can't anymore. I can't. I uh, yeah. to, Like everybody's with their takes or attacking their takes and it's kind of gotten to a place where... It went from like Virginia know, Slims to like menthols. Yeah, or, or like, you know, a, a party where everybody's getting drunk and you had that good time, but it's past like midnight and now there's a few people getting a little violent and yeah. you kind of had to get the fuck Why out of Why are those there. guys headbutting each other in the corner? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it is fraught and not everybody needs to hear your take, but it has had this No, and this, there's a time and a place for your take. Media. There's this tech summit, tech conference, the web summit. Do you know of it? It's like yeah. this sprawling. I've been a couple of times, not recently. <laughs> I need to, to distance myself from this thing. And I'm shocked at like how big this thing had gotten. I went when they were still in Ireland, in Dublin, and it, it became too big for like Dublin and, and it moved to like Lisbon. And now it's doing one of them. I think they do a few of them now. They do one in, in Toronto in Qatar, Qatar. I always say Qatar. Qatar. Cut, yeah. cut I would used to say Qatar, but I hear no, no, no. That's I want to sound sophisticated, Cutter. Oh, but not like too sophisticated, where I'm trying to like pronounce a word in a language I don't know. <laughs> like the guy, the guy that says, "Oh, do you want to go to karaoke?" Yeah. My, well, my mom does. She says Paris. Mom, if you're listening, no, it's, I mean, that's, <laughs> but it's so funny. She's yeah. like, Perry. <laughs> I, I speak French and I still call it a croissant because if I go into a bakery and call it a croissant, yeah, I, know, I feel like see. a right asshole. Yeah, There's a lot of those people in New York. They don't speak mm. French at all. Anyway, he decided to get on Twitter directly after X, whatever, right after yeah the terrorist attack and put forth his view of what was going on in, in Gaza and then he's saying these it's war crimes and all these things like this and like he has been in, under like constant attack now the latest is he he went on to the you know they they go through these cycles of like I will never back down and it's like an apology you know like seven hours later 
which I'm sorry right. to laugh because I know a lot of people really, I'll, you know, take well, them. You know, one of these pathways is like, I will never back down an apology. And then it often ends up in the right wing speaking circuits or something like that. But in this case, it might not be, it might not be there. You know, if you go, if you get pulled down enough, the, the thing is like right or wrong or whatever your take is in the end, it's just not your take to make. And we forgot about that. And people feel uh, the urge to have a take on whatever's happening in the news. And when things are pretty chill and easy, it's easy to kind of have content to share on social media. And if it's not, then you feel you have to step in there. And often, rightly, you're going to get like in trouble for it. Yeah. What I'm interested in, the last thing I want to like talk about on this, is how this will affect how companies are built and staffed. Because I think there's a few things going on. AI is coming. It's obviously oh it's being incorporated. I don't know if you saw, I shared that in our, our text, Stack Overflow laid off 28% and they're sort of blaming, blame the LLM, if you will. Of course, of course. Which is going to be a convenient course. dodge for a lot of companies. I don't know if that's the case, but... But it, it is convenient. 100% the case. Any type of content, this is the first content to have been fully absorbed by the LLMs and can be provided in a better fashion than the source scan. So there's no reason today to, to go into Stack Overflow to search for an answer. Okay. So there's no reason. You were talking about this being a free consulting call. Let's just say you were like building like a small media company <laughs> and you know your core is kind of typing words onto the internet. Then maybe you do some podcasting too, some exclusive private dinners, a white paper, maybe a webinar if you're feeling frisky. Right. How do you how do you think about because it, obviously anytime you're starting something, I feel like you obviously want to not put yourself in a disadvantageous position that the legacy players who have so many advantages over you have. I mean, the biggest advantage you have is that you don't have all the built-in processes and infrastructure that they have. So what, yeah. how do you think that building companies overall will be different in this higher for longer era and particularly in an era in an industry like media that is, has other secular challenges? That's a good question. It's a very hypothetical question right here. That's great. Let me answer it maybe at a higher altitude first so I can kind of formulate some of my thoughts. I think we're going to see pretty big shifts. And a lot of that is a correction from ZERP where the manager class is going to be severely reduced. People who mm. manage other people, team sizes are going to. And at the end of the day, I think if you're not bringing a capability that can be either not affected by AI at all, right? Which is like you cut hair, or augmented by AI, which is, you know, an engineer or a designer, then you're kind of in trouble. I think there's a lot of jobs that are given to junior folks coming in that will no longer be required. So I'm worried a little bit about the pipeline of people moving into careers, right? Like a junior data scientist can be often replaced with a query. And I think it's going to be the same in, in media companies where a lot of that research and stuff like that can actually be done by the writer themselves rather than having a researcher yeah. on a piece. But I think what this does say, I mean, obviously companies will need to have de-risk from that. And so it seems to me like, obviously, you'll need to have like apprentice system like apprenticeship. Yeah, although it'll happen. I just don't know how quickly it'll happen, yeah. right? We've had a, an issue with hiring in Silicon Valley for a long time and talked about apprenticeships and stuff like that, but we never really managed to get the pipeline going, which is why there's a lot of recirculation of the same people across all these companies, right? And then when you end up to, at a leadership level, I, I'm helping a lot of companies with leadership searches right now. There's a handful of people 
that because a lot of folks made a lot of money and retired, and then uh, a lot of other folks kind of coasted at Facebook and never did any meaningful work. There's gr- great people at Facebook, and I've hired many of them, but I'm just using them as an example. I think for a small media company, it's going to be really interesting because at the same time as AI allows you to do a lot of this stuff, creative work that used to be really expensive, a really big moat, pretty instantly and very cheaply, it's also going to mean that the space is going to be flooded with it. To me, the people I would hire, it used to be, you would have been like, well, hire as many people that can, you can delegate to, right? To free your space and mind up to do kind of the important work. But I think, I think right that's now, an ex- I think you, by the way, I think usually people say that because they don't want to do the actual work. Well, there's just work I don't want to like do. Why there, it's like uh, why there's so many podcasts, because people don't want to write, because it's harder. Some people like to write. You like to write. <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, okay. Sorry. I mean, some people I like do to it, write. I do it to make a living. I like to do some stuff no, with I like some people find menial. But it's more painful. It's easier to it's easier to come on a podcast and talk than it is to write. That's why I would always tell people Oh yeah, yeah. When they definitely. everyone wanted to come and present things and I would say write it down first, then we can discuss it. And like, no, 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 I want to walk you through. And I'm like, oh, you've lost me on walk it through. I don't need to be walked <laughs> through something. I'm not like a child. Like I can wow. read. Well, it's a dodge. It's easier to bullshit when you're talking than it is. When you write stuff down and you're full of shit, it's very obvious. It's very obvious you didn't think things through. And it'll be obvious it depends to on you. the medium, right? It will be obvious. And if someone is not a professional writer, the problem with being a good writer is that you can fake it a lot easier. If someone is not a good writer, they can't they they can't fake it. Well, guess what? With AI, it's gonna be it's very easy for me to write a, a pitch nowadays. So but I would I would say I don't know yet how companies will stand out in an AI era, but I think it's the same way it's always worked that you do something differentiated. And so I would avoid hiring people that you just feel are going to be doing a task within the company that you don't want to do and hire a lot less people, but find people that can really have a good sense of the the media you're trying to create, the culture you're trying to reach and use all the tools at, at their availability. I can't. And, and so it's kind of a non-answer, but I, what I'm trying to do for the studio right now, we're, we're making video games. Everybody on the team is additive to building the game in a way that is also creative. Like they all have tasks, but I don't have people on the team right now that are just doing a task, read a list and check on a task. Because I think the world's changing too fast. So would that have been different if you were doing this five years ago? Yeah. How would your team be different? I would have prioritized just getting people to just get the work done and come up with a concept and work with them and then distribute the task across the team and hope that we can scale it as a project scales. I think that right now, what I really need to get is people who understand that the world's changing really quickly, either because they'll find ways of using AI intelligently that makes it feel different, but more importantly, find things to do that cannot be easily replicated with AI. I, I don't think we talk about that enough, but I am constantly talking about trying to make something that says that would be hard to do with AI. Yeah. That imperfection, that weird thing. And sometimes I'll say, like, I'll give feedback, like, that looks like an AI made it. And it's great, but it looks like, I don't know, it doesn't make me feel anything. And so I think that if you're going into media, a lot of the advice right now is like how to hack AI to scale your media business. But all of these things are going to eat themselves. Like, there's nothing there at the end of the day. Use DALI 3. It's incredible. I've been using MidJourney. That's my... I mean, uh, forget mid-journey. Like oh, use really? Dolly three. I already paid. In- well, okay, just and I'm on Discord, the- and you know how I feel 20, about that. 
Well, Dali Three has an app as well, <laughs> and it and it allows you to have conversations Sold. with it. So you you can give it feedback, and some of this stuff is indiscernible from stuff that a, a human designer would create. And it doesn't only create like. But you say that as a designer. Could do you really believe that? Yes, I know that to be true. Really? Because yes. I guess yes. I guess from the standpoint of writing, I've yet to see. And again, it doesn't mean that it cannot. I go back to you know Trump being described as like a poor person's vision of what like a rich person is like. The kind of writing that I see is what someone who can't write thinks is normal writing. Like it's terrible. It's stereo manual listicle stuff. So I I've yet to see. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I've yet to. But I mean, what are you comparing it to? Generative AI writing something that I personally find quote unquote good. Can it like regurgitate like the steps of like a recipe? Sure. Yeah. Okay. But if that's what you're doing, then. So, first of all, I think you need to look at the trajectory of where this technology is going. Right. Oh, this sounds like a ZERP mindset. No, I mean, it's more. No, I get it. Go on. Over the past 12 months, we've kind of been the frog in the boiling pot where we keep saying, oh, but it can't do that yet. Oh, well, now it can. I mean, it can't do this yet. Oh, well, now it can. Right. And I also know that we don't know how to use these tools that well. You can give it a prompt, but then if you keep talking to the machine, that text will be improved over time. And that conversation will take a little bit of time, but less time than you would have taken to write the whole thing in the first place. Okay, so how does that affect how you think long-term about building the studio? If you're like playing out, this is where AI is today, Here's where I think it could be in three years. And who knows, maybe that's in, in one year with these developments. I don't know, but I'm fairly certain it's going to be there within three years. So like, mm. how does that affect and whether, I think to me on the abstract level, I think about, okay, it's better to be as lean as possible, to have as much flexibility as possible. You have no idea about so many different things. I mean, you don't have an idea anyway, about how, but you don't want it to paralyze you as far as you know not making decisions. But how do you end up, other than staying like lean and nimble, the obvious, how do you prepare for where this is going? I don't have a clear answer yet. God damn it. The thing I'm doing is that I'm remaining deeply paranoid about everything that we make that I feel could be replaced by an AI. My bet is that in a world full of AI-generated shit, people are going to seek out things that either feel or they know to be human created. I think we trade in stories and those stories only matter if we know that there's a person behind it, which is why celebrities exist, which is why when you go to a museum, the art is as important as the artist, right? The way it's presented, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's my bet. So 80% of my time, I would say, is spent trying to figure out how do we make this as human as possible so that it feels different to anything else, to the flood that we're going to see. And you know what? Gaming is probably furthest down the line of of impact here because games still have a massive moat. It's still very hard to build games and to build feel and and all the components that need to go in a game, right? But yet 80% of my time is spent down. The other 20% is spent trying to figure out all the non-creative things that we can replace with, that we can accelerate with AI. You know, building frames of animation between the things, some abstract background helping us code specific things, et cetera. All that stuff, we're making sure that we kind of accelerate. The rest of it is, I would say, is like try to make yourself indispensable. Indispensable in an era where 
AI is coming to do everything you know how to do. Mm-hmm. There will be a time not long in the future where I can ask AI to write a Brian Morrissey thing about a thing. I'll never be the same, Alex. But you might be the only one to know that. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. And so what happens when your competitors that have newsletters release seven newsletters a week, 14 podcasts in every language? And yeah, I mean, you're doing a face, but what I'm saying is... I'm not, that doing, is not I'm, the, I'm considering it. <laughs> yeah. But that, that so so I'd be flattered. First of all, I'd be flattered. But rather than going into that fight, I would say my time is spent entirely on how do I stay out of that fight? Because that fight is going to be a bloodbath. Nobody's going to win that fight. The only person's going to win that fight are Microsoft, Google, yeah. these guys. I think that's in general. I would I would always say like during the last year, it's not a good track record for trying to out Google Google. Like whenever anyone was saying, oh, we're going to do what Google's, I would skip that strategy. You don't need to continue. <laughs> if the ZERP era benefited the top 5% of the companies, you know, the largest companies, the AI era is going to likely do, do the same. So, and I think social media is going to be destroyed by everybody needing to have a hot take, but also just content is going to be free. It's going to be everywhere. I mean, if the bots are bad now, I can, I, I sort of have more, I don't know if sympathy is the right word. But I, I sort of understand. Elon? Yeah, well, I do think that like it might be one of those things where he said so many crazy things, but like he was actually telling the truth about like the need to like do subscriptions in order to like it's the only thing that can like stop the bots. Like he might actually he might actually be right on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think to his credit, Professor Galloway was saying that. But it's also been it's a very old idea. Do you remember when they were trying to stop email spam? Oh yeah, I love those postal service ones. The one that they want to have stamps, e stamps. Yeah, like one cent to send an email. I was Just the email. The, I was the email beat reporter at DM News. Oh, wow, I know so you. You were there. I look where that went. <laughs> I said the belly of the beast. I was partying with the postal service guys. I've told you guys about this. That's a good. I mean, the <laughs> postal service, the band, or the, no, no, like okay. literally. <laughs> that's, that's less mail deliverers. <laughs> they used to be mailmen. What are they now? Like they're mail deliverers. They wear shorts too. At least in Miami, I think they wear. When shorts I was growing something. up, they didn't wear shorts. They wore a proper just, proper uniform. Just like suffered for, for you all. <laughs> but yeah, I would say like try to stay out of the fight. Yeah. Well, and I Chris Kimball mentioned that, right? Like he saw magazines and all these shiny covers and pictures. And the way he started doing it was like, let's go black and white. Yeah. Six issues, expensive. And that's how you stand out. You build a great business. Yeah. That's come up a few times, actually. Media lost almost all of its moats like long ago. Gave them away. Either way, they lost it. Gave them away. Gave them away. Here's all our content because we need traffic. We need scale. Scale kills media every time. But now the the interests are aligned, I think, the market interests. And it's always basically alignment of like, what are you going to incentivize people? The incentives are to build distinctive properties. So it's going to be a painful period. But when I look at, at some of the more promising publications that are being built, I'm not saying all of them are going to work, and they certainly are not going to be what Vice and BuzzFeed were claiming that they were going to build. I just don't think that those dreams of these many multi-billion dollar <laughs> digital publishing companies are just probably not going to happen. But I think that they are building smaller and more durable models, and they're doing that by, one, being distinctive, and two, by completely opting out of competing for budgets with platforms. Like there was this period of time where publishers were fooling themselves that 
they could compete in any way, shape, or form with the might of these companies. I mean, this is, I'm trying to think of like yeah. a, a minor, the most minor house in uh, Game of Thrones, like going up against the Lannister. I mean, it would be like they were going up against these Tullies? companies that, yeah, the Tullies. I don't know. Well, they, they were pretty strong. Yeah, even every house in Game of Thrones had some sort of ability. Here you're talking. Well, they about were distinctive. Who, That's the thing. They're, they always right. had some twist. Exactly. But yeah, you you they thought they, they could compete with somebody who was at the very top of their funnel, had unlimited cash, had you know a huge technology advantage. It was always a losing battle. I think a Zerp phenomenon we haven't mentioned, but maybe which is good in closing, is the fact that. It kind of told everyone that you couldn't be successful unless you had a billion dollar exit. So everyone chased that. And a lot of really good businesses are never going to be billion dollar businesses. So we lost a lot of that energy. But I've talked to more than one person in tech and they've told me, you know what I wish? I wish I could just build a business that makes five to $10 million a year. Yeah, I'd be okay. And I'd just be happy. And I would tell them, well, why aren't I'll you doing that? that? It's just like, well, I can't raise money at that thing. And also like... Don't raise money, even better. You end up having a better... It would be seen uh, as a step down. But yeah. that's what I'm doing. I tell people that I meet, you know, at, at kind of shindigs or get together, and they had expectations for me to raise a bunch of money or now be an AI after I left my big, big job. And when I'm telling them I'm building an independent video game studio... <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to grow beyond 12 people. They're sad for me. They look sad. <laughs> really? Yeah. They're concerned. Yeah. I went through, well, it's better, it's, it's better for you. And then we'll have to wrap this up. Because like I went through, it stopped recently, but for a long time, like people were very concerned that I couldn't find a job. I was like, no, I'm actually building my own thing. <laughs> but they did, they were like, no, seriously, like you don't have to like. Yeah. You won't have to newsletter okay. every, forever. Okay. I know it's fine. hard out there. <laughs> Anyway, this was fun. All right. Do you have a good product or any view from whatever? Or no, we're gonna wrap it up. No, I don't. I don't have one offhand, and I have to get to a sales call, so <laughs> wrap it up. Okay. More with less era. Post Zerp, you gotta you gotta be a five tool player. You gotta be good. Product is advertising on the rebooting network, and Absolutely. Uh, maybe getting uh, Brian to uh, sit down and have a yeah meal private guys. dinner tonight. Very excited for it. I forget where. It, I think it's at Lacanda Verity. Or it's not tonight because this is posting in the future. But you yeah, know, at well, some point. And then got another one tomorrow. It's going to be. It's a big week. And then, oh yeah, tomorrow is also the Self Serve Ad Summit, powered by Dan Ads. I so. thought you were running out of time here, but you always have time for advertising. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Cool. Rate and review us and share it with your friends. Thank you. Thanks to all the new listeners. Bye.